I'm so excited to introduce you to Erica Gerdes. But before I do, I'd like you to sit with me and set this intention for the episode. Facing my fears doesn't make me more fearful. It allows me to show up with more impact. This episode is all about how to show up as your authentic self. Let's go meet Erica. Welcome to the Handle Everything podcast, where people who have a lot on their plate come to learn how to open doors to opportunities by handling it all in a healthy way. I'm your host, Tara Bradford, a former ICU nurse turned executive coach. Erica is an authenticity development and executive leadership coach, speaker, and writer. She's also the designer of The Art of Undoing, a powerful practice that helps people unlock their full potential and embrace their authenticity and unique impact. Erica spent 12 years at Google with the last three plus years as a global business leader where she led the partnership with one of Google's largest global partners. She left at the height of her career as a single mom with two small kids to pursue her mission for helping people be audaciously authentic and impactful. Welcome to the show, Erica. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here with you. So I start off every episode by asking, how full is your plate? Very. Let's start there. So I am a single mom. As you mentioned, I now have eight and seven-year-old little girls, so they're very close in age. And I added to my plate a one-year-old puppy that I got at eight weeks old. I also have my kids 75% of the time, and I have no childcare or any family in the area at all. In addition to all of that, I left my 12-year career at Google last year and started a business for speaking and coaching. So I'm an entrepreneur and going through all of the fun adventures and challenges and everything that comes along with building a business from the ground up and starting in a different career entirely. In addition to all of that, I get no financial support. (laughs) So it's a very full plate with a lot of pressure. That sounds like a lot. And you seem to be handling it really well. So how do you handle everything? The honest answer is that I don't try to handle everything. I really had to learn a while back that I can't actually do it all and do it with a smile and still be sane. (laughs) So I had to learn how to give myself permission to stop feeling guilty for not being able to do everything. And so what I have learned instead is how to prioritize the things that are most important to me and do my best to let go of the rest. And especially to let go of the pressure and guilt I felt with trying to get everything done and be everywhere and everyone to everybody. And once I did that, I felt so much better and so much clearer about how I could make an impact in the things that were important to me. And the way that I handle what I do handle and the way that I really prioritize things is that I have discovered that for me, treating self-care as foundational, not frivolous, is incredibly important. If I'm taking care of myself, then I can take care of other things. If I'm not taking care of myself, I find that my energy is low, my attitude is bad, I have very little motivation, and I'm just not able to be as productive, as happy, or as efficient. So my morning routine is really sacrosanct because it allows me the space that I need to center myself and really get into a much more proactive and intentional mindset 
because I found that if I was getting up and immediately launching into mom mode and then work mode and then back into mom mode and then trying to juggle work and mom mode and all of the other things, I felt like I was just dodging bullets all the time or putting out fires all the time. And what I discovered is that most of the time what was happening is that as I was trying to reactively put out fires, it was me that was getting burned. And so when I spend the time in the morning to be very proactive and create space in my life and really get myself aligned, I'm so much better able to serve and support the people who need me. I love that. And I know this episode is about undoing, but when you talk about self-care, what specifically does that mean that you are doing? Yeah. <laughs> A lot of my self-care is actually practicing undoing, but I'll come back to that. So self-care for me involves a lot of different things. The most important things that I include on a really, really regular basis and notice immediately if I'm not doing include, like I said, that morning routine. So I usually get up at 5.30 or something like that and I journal almost every single day. And I have found that that is such an important way for me to sort of clear I call it clearing the trash in my head because there's just so many erratic, automatic thoughts that come up and things that make me feel like I'm overwhelmed and all of that kind of stuff. And when I can get a lot of that out, it gives me so much more clarity. The other thing that's super important for me, I work out usually five times a week and I have found that moving my body just makes me feel stronger, both physically, but more importantly, emotionally and mentally. And finally, sometimes I feel a little intense when I say this, but I'm very intentional about what I eat and drink as well. So I basically eat and drink only things that make me feel good. So I've eliminated over the last several years, gluten and dairy. I really limit my sugar intakes. I stopped drinking alcohol a year ago. So I'm thrilling to go on a date with, but at least I feel good. <laughs> <laughs> well, you probably don't have time to date anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I don't. <laughs> So even with all of these practices in place, do you ever feel overwhelmed or stressed when maybe something you weren't expecting gets added to your plate or something outside of your control happens? Oh, oh yes. Overwhelm is very real for me. And sometimes it happens when those external things occur. And sometimes it doesn't take anything to all of a sudden trigger some feeling of overwhelm in my head. And I find that I have to manage myself really regularly and recheck my thoughts so that I don't get buried under a mountain of shoulds. Because it's so easy for me to start thinking about all the things that I should be doing to grow my business, the ways I should be feeding or educating or entertaining my kids, the way that I should be dressing or showing up or being involved in my kid's school or whatever it might be. And just this week, I woke up at 4.30 in the morning thinking about all of the ways that I could or should be involved in kids or work or whatever. And as soon as those things trigger, I know that I need to immediately go back to recentering and practicing the mindfulness and awareness. So would you say that when you feel stressed or overwhelmed, that that first sign that you're getting there is when you start hearing the word should in your mind over and over again? That's a great way of looking at it. I wish that I could say that I always hear it, but sometimes what I find with myself and so many people that I talk to, either my audiences or my coaching clients, we don't always hear the stuff that's going on in our heads. It sort of becomes like white noise. And so for me, 
the trigger that I notice is it feels like a racing mind or all of a sudden like this constant need to do something like I'm feeling antsy and you know sometimes it shows up physically sometimes it's more like just this kind of racing antsy mind and what tends to happen is that there's this need to do something but feeling totally aimless about what that is to do it's almost like I need some sort of relief but I don't know what it is so when that happens, the key for me is as soon as I notice either those physical or mental triggers, I step back into place of what I call being the observer, which is what I teach in my art of undoing practice. And so for me, what being the observer means is to give myself some space and distance from what I'm thinking so that I don't just get carried away with the flow of those thoughts. Because I think when we're in the moment, just sort of participating with our thoughts, we tend to get super wrapped up in them and reactive. And then the overwhelm really does build up. So at that point, it becomes super easy to believe whatever I'm thinking. I'm very convincing to myself <laughs> inside my head. <laughs> so when I can step back and observe my thoughts and then my behaviors or my physical experience, it's a lot easier to realize that what feels like truth in my head isn't necessarily truth. It's just thoughts. And then I can choose something else. Absolutely. And as a fellow highly driven, recovering overachiever slash overdoer, <laughs> I can relate to sometimes doing things on purpose that creates a little bit of stress and overwhelm by accident, <laughs> like totally. leaving a career that's totally comfortable <laughs> that everyone would say, oh my gosh, you're so lucky. You have my dream job. And you're kind of like, but I think I'm going to quit and go do something else and start at the bottom. So could you tell us what that experience was like to reinvent your career from what you were doing at Google to what you're doing now and how you were able to turn that into an opportunity? Yes, you and I definitely have some similar experiences and bravery <laughs> and resilience, it sounds like. So for me... You're absolutely right. I had what most people would consider a dream career. And I was a top performer at Google too, you know, within my teams and things like that. So it wasn't like I was sort of being pushed out the door. And for a really long time, I felt like I was saying, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. And then I realized I was grown up and that really wasn't a fair thing to say anymore. And even though I worked at Google and was super successful, I still felt like it was more of a job than a career because while I liked it and I felt really fulfilled by the work I was doing, like I really enjoyed doing good work, I didn't feel like it was making the impact that I knew I wanted in my heart to be making. And so it took a long time for me to realize that I could actually find the courage to leave. And I had a couple of instances that really helped me get a lot more clarity on that. A couple of projects that I had been working on for a really long time, both crashed and burned within the same like week long period. And so I had gone from thinking I was getting promoted to thinking that there was a possibility I might get fired. And while that did not happen, and instead my team and my leadership rallied around me, and it actually led to me being at the very top of my career, 
that was a pivot point where I realized this isn't what I actually want to be doing. I want to be using my energy and my gifts and my skills to be making an impact in this world, to really get closer to changing the world instead of just funding the projects that are changing the world. And so it took me a while to figure out what I wanted to actually do or get brave enough to explore that. And once I got brave enough to realize that what I wanted to do is go out more visibly and use my skills and my talents in speaking and coaching and things like that, I practiced a lot before I left to make sure that this felt really like it was the right thing for me to do. And then I did leave. And I will say that the year since I've left has been the hardest and most rewarding year of my life. And what I didn't realize was going to happen when I left is that I immediately felt all of my deepest fears come hit me in the face. I felt like I was all of a sudden putting all this pressure on myself to have everything figured out, get things done immediately, show everyone that I really could do it. And there was no going back and I wasn't going to be like everybody else. And it was paralyzing. And I found that I was doing things and overdoing things and I didn't know how to just be. And so that is actually how I developed the art of undoing because I literally had to practice un doing and just being like being uncomfortable in the not knowing and in the fog and in the uncertainty. And because of that practice, it really has turned into one of the best opportunities for my personal growth and also for my professional growth, because I think it's something that everybody needs to learn how to do, both learning how to undo the fear stories that are holding them back, but also how to undo and just be, because I think that it's the doing that's actually diluting our impact. Absolutely. And I can only imagine how much more pressure was on you being a single mom and having all of these other responsibilities, people who depend on you to support them. Absolutely. People ask a lot, how in the world could you be brave enough to go do this? People say a lot to me, I could never do what you did. I like my lifestyle too much, or I have family that depends on me. And I'm thinking, me too. I don't want to go live under a bridge or in a shoebox. <laughs> but that is what's so interesting is that most people dream in worst case scenarios. Rather than dreaming in best case scenarios, it's almost like they think if they were to take the risk to leave their job to go after the thing that they really want to do, that the immediate next step is bankruptcy and living under a bridge. And while I certainly had a lot of those fears myself, I realized that was very unlikely to happen. And I also created, you know, backup plans and things for myself. But you're right. I went from being this single breadwinner in my family, because of course there's nobody else here and I get no financial support at all to now I'm figuring it all out myself. And like I said, it's been challenging and rewarding and fulfilling and the hardest thing I've ever done. I think that is totally normal. Yes. <laughs> I can Me definitely too. relate to the first year of leaving my job and starting my business full time. And I totally had those same thoughts and moments and feeling like maybe I should go back and then no, I can't, you know, all of those negotiations in your head. So I'm thinking about my journey as a parallel to yours as I'm listening to you talk and it's bringing back a lot of those memories. It's interesting because I know several people who have actually similarly left their jobs and they do end up going back. And one of the things that comes up a lot as I am considered for keynote speaking and things like that is I don't want people to listen. This is what they say. I don't want people to listen to you and immediately think they need to quit their jobs and go after their passion. <laughs> and I think, first of all, maybe <laughs> we should question leadership style. But then what's more important is I would never advocate somebody to 
leave a job that they love in order to go after something else. Or even if they don't love that job to just run, because I think when we're running away from something, we're very unlikely to find something better. We're just going to find similar feelings with slightly different scenery. So I think that we have to be able to be in that place of uncertainty and challenge and facing those fears, just like I'm sure came up for you in your first year and probably still come up, maybe slightly different fears, but we all have them all the time. And it's more matter of how do we deal with our challenges and be willing to face those fears and grow from them, not how do we run from the things that we don't love. I totally agree with you. I mean, I moved from Seattle to New York and (laughs) briefly stopped in Maine. I guess the Seattle to Maine trip was kind of running away, but the (laughs) Maine to New York trip was definitely running towards, and I can feel the difference. For sure. Absolutely. Believe me. The reason I feel comfortable saying we shouldn't run away is because I've done it. I've run away from stuff in the past and I know it doesn't work. So (laughs) I love that you're running towards something. (laughs) So what has been one of the biggest stress relievers you've been able to use in your personal or professional life? If you had to just give one tip to our listeners. Oh, that's hard. So learning how to have fear without letting fear have us is hands down the best way to relieve stress in my life because it is so overwhelming. In terms of the actual tip for how to do that, it really is for me that ability to create space both in my life and in my head in order to be able to see those fears as opposed to just feel them and think that they're me. So I go back to what I said earlier, my morning ritual is truly sacrosanct to me because it is that space that allows me to reflect and journal and just be, which makes my day so much more productive and proactive and pleasant. Amazing. And we already talked about how you used to work at Google and now you're coaching high achievers on the art of undoing. Let's dive into what it really means to undo and what is the art of undoing? Yeah, so the art of undoing has multiple layers to it. It's not complicated, but it's a little bit nuanced. So I'm going to try to sort of break it down a little bit. So first... The art of undoing is undoing the power of the stuff that is keeping us stuck so that the changes that we want to make will actually stick. And that's super important because I think that we all have these fear stories and limiting beliefs that are buried deeper below the surface that are really preventing us from making the changes in our lives that we want to be able to make. The other key component of undoing is learning, as I said earlier, how to undo do, how to stop our habits of doing all the time and how to be. Because once we know how to be, the doing comes naturally and it's so much more effortless. So this practice, the overall practice of the art of undoing is an awareness and mindfulness practice to help people make real change in their lives so that they can live into what I call their full range and embrace their authenticity impact. And just to kind of bring this to life a little bit, because it is, I think, a little bit complex. I'll just use an example if that's okay. Yeah, that's great. We love stories. Well, I have a story and I also have an example. So I'll start with the example just to sort of illustrate it. So I think that we all have things about ourselves that we want to improve patterns that aren't serving us or ways we want to show up more impactfully, whether it's at work or at home or probably 
all of those places. But what we tend to do is, I can certainly speak from experience and pretty much every other person I've ever talked to. When we decide we have a change that we want to make, we tend to consult Google or some other thing and we read all the tips and all the tricks and we look at the books and talk to all the people. And no matter how many tips or tricks we read or how many New Year's resolutions we set, we just can't make true progress. We might start out strong, but it seems like we always end up going back. It's sort of like the idea of we want to lose weight and we may lose the same five pounds 10 times and then end up heavier. (laughs) So after we try so many times to make a change, we start actually wondering what's wrong with us. And maybe we just need to settle for being okay with just being okay. I can't tell you how many times I have heard from people, oh, things are fine. I mean, first world problems. And I think it's not just our right to make change and improve our lives. I think it's our responsibility because I think that when we can truly embrace our authenticity and make changes that enable us to live into our full range, we don't just change our lives. We have the capacity and the ability to change the world. So to be able to make true change, we have to get to the heart of why the changes that we're trying to make aren't sticking. And so the analogy that I've kind of come up with that seems to help me understand this a little bit more because I even sometimes go in and out of really fully getting undoing is imagine that we're on a boat and we know the direction that we want to go. So we've looked up all the tips for how we want to navigate there. We're super well-versed in the techniques. And so we say, okay, we're going to set off. We know where we're going. We know how to get there. This is what we mostly do when we try to lose weight or make other changes. And then we start to move and we either make a little progress and then fall back or often it feels like we have one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake. And that feeling, we've all had it. It's so frustrating. I cannot tell you how many times in my life I have wondered why I can't just get my act together and change already. What is wrong with me? Why don't I have the willpower to make this work? It's not the tips and tricks that are the problem. It's not you or me or us that is the problem. The changes are not sticking because in this case, the boat won't move because there's a big anchor deep under the surface of the water at the bottom of the ocean that is keeping us stuck. So no matter how many tips and tricks we try, that anchor is going to prevent us from moving. Fear is that anchor. It's there, but we can't see it because it's buried so deep below the surface, but it keeps us from getting to where we want to be in life. So the magical part of the art of undoing is that when we're courageous enough to dig in and identify that deeper stuff that's keeping us stuck, so to speak, bring that anchor to the surface and expose it to the light of day, it doesn't have as much power anymore. And when we're no longer unconsciously limiting ourselves out of fear and rather consciously learning how to have fear without fear having us, we aren't being dragged down by the anchor and we can actually start making changes that will stick or heading toward the destination that we want to go. I love both of those examples and analogies. (laughs) I think it's really helpful to visualize it. The hard part is that fear is sort of like a dirty four-letter F word to most people. And we don't like to talk about it because I think a lot of people feel like it's one of those things where other people have it. If we get too close to it, we might contract it. And while certainly fear does actually spread, we all have it. And the power that it has is that we don't want to see it and we don't want to admit that we've got it. And so when it lives under the surface or in the shadows, that's what is keeping us stuck. So when we're able to bring it to the surface and really look at it and have it, then it doesn't have us. It doesn't have the power over us anymore. I absolutely agree. And coming from a healthcare background, I can say I've been at so many health fairs 
where I was sitting behind a booth educating people on diseases that are also not spreadable. You can't catch them from other people. And people ran away from me. So yes, I can vouch for the fear being something that people also run away from because it's the fear of getting that illness or the fear of getting dragged down or having to sit with really uncomfortable emotions. So if our natural tendency is to avoid these feelings of fear, how can people experiencing overdoing recognize or become more aware of when they're creating those self-imposed limitations on themselves and keeping themselves stuck? Oh, such a good question. So as I mentioned earlier, the key is awareness and starting to see these patterns in our lives. And they always stem from our thoughts. I mean, I'm sure we've all heard that phrase before, change your thoughts, change your life. But the challenge is that for most of us, we aren't really aware of what our thoughts are. We have something like 60,000 thoughts a day, or there's all the varying statistics on it. So it's not like we're actually conscious of everything that's going on inside of our heads. We just believe it without examining it because it's sort of like white noise there. So in The Art of Undoing, I talk a lot about where these fear stories come from and why they have so much power, but it really does all stem from our thoughts. So in terms of the how to recognize it and what to sort of do about it, I will start by saying, don't believe everything you think. <laughs> for a long time, <laughs> I thought I was my thoughts. I mean, I had all the reasons to believe that. I say my big, beautiful brain got me to where I was. I was a straight A student all the way through graduate school. I literally made one B all through K through whatever graduate school is. And I worked at Google for 12 years. Everybody always talked about how smart I was. So surely whatever thoughts went on in my brain, I should take seriously and absolutely take credit for. But for all the success I had, my thoughts also led me to feeling really insecure and empty and alone. And they led me to feeling competitive and like I needed to compare and like I constantly needed to be on guard or showing off or shrinking back. And so the best way to shift our focus and become much more conscious of what it is that we're thinking without immediately letting our thoughts run away with us is to, as I said earlier, step into that role of being the observer. And when we can do that, it becomes so much easier to see how we've been limiting ourselves when we can step back. It's sort of that idea of the forest for the trees. When you can step back, you can see the forest. And when we can give ourselves that space, our thoughts feel so much less urgent. And that enables us to be so much more proactive and intentional versus reactive and just going with whatever our thoughts are. So that's why the Art of Undoing practice incorporates both awareness generating activities as well as mindfulness activities so that you can become the observer and then make powerful shifts in your beliefs and your behaviors from that place. We have to be aware of what our thoughts are and mindfully shift back out of them so that we can be more intentional in what we're thinking and how we're behaving. And I'll just throw in one tip here on that. <laughs> My favorite place to start, like I said earlier for myself, is with journaling, because I think it's such a fabulous way to gain awareness. And it's been researched and shown that it increases our levels of both awareness and happiness. So by writing down what we're thinking, we start to be more aware of what's going on in our heads. But we also, and I think this is super important, start to become aware of patterns that we keep reinforcing that we might otherwise be blind to. Because again, when we're sort of in things, everything feels different. But when we step back and start to see that we've been writing the same thing over and over and over for years or weeks or whatever, then it becomes a lot easier to say, oh, I am doing this. I need to make a change. 
I love that. And I love that you've been consistent with your tip throughout the entire episode with journaling. So let's say they sit down with a blank sheet of paper and a pen and they're ready to journal. They're setting the intention to do it. And then their mind goes blank and they don't know what to write. How would you walk someone through journaling if they're feeling that writer's block? I require all my clients to journal. So this is actually a really common conversation that I have. I absolutely love journaling and I have writer's block every time I think about how to write for somebody else and never when it comes to myself. That said, I know I'm alone. Not everybody experiences it in the same way that I do. What I highly recommend is what a lot of people call automatic writing or morning pages is a really common practice. And it used to be that I would write at night and would just basically reflect on what my day was and get into my feelings about it at night. I've actually changed that over the last couple of years to writing on my computer in the morning, first thing in the morning with my eyes closed. And the reason that I do that is because when I have my eyes closed and I'm just typing, I mean, there's tons of typos, but nobody cares because it's just me reading it. I don't have that same sort of conscious filter of what do I write? What do I say? So what I would recommend is as best you can start with a blank sheet of paper, or I use an online website called 750words.com that I really love, but you can use a Google doc or any other tool that just allows you to collect your thoughts. And don't try to think about what you write. Literally put your fingers on the keys or your pen on the paper and just start writing and see what comes out. Again, by not trying to edit yourself and just literally let the thoughts come out, that does start to clear a lot of those thoughts or make you aware of what those thoughts are that are in your brain and clear some of them out. And the more often that you practice or flex that muscle, so to speak, the easier it becomes. And the more you'll start to realize how nice it is to be able to get some of those thoughts out and also how much more space is created inside your mind for creativity to actually rise. A lot of people that I work with end up saying that they had no idea that they were thinking the things that they were thinking when they start reading what they've been writing. That's awesome. And that's the first part to change is the awareness, as you mentioned. Exactly. And you also mentioned a little bit earlier that people, when you do corporate speaking engagements, they think that you're going to come in and convince everyone to quit their job and go start their own company. So how do you see the future of work being able to allow for more whole being and less doing so that people can keep their jobs and be happy by the work that they're doing? I believe that this movement of empowering people to undo the power of their fear stories and really embrace their authenticity impact will enable so much more creativity, innovation, connection, satisfaction, well-being, all of the things that we're all looking for and don't really know how to find. And if we just think of how much energy we spend, and I can speak from my own personal experience and like I said, so many of my clients and audience members, we spend so much energy doing things to try and make up for or hide what we perceive we lack, our perceived weaknesses. And if instead we were to embrace who we really are and the gifts and the talents that we have and not feel like we need to enter situations and experiences in sort of a defensive or posturing mode, we wouldn't be diluting our impact as much as we are. I mean, if we think about it, 
in most conversations, we're not really listening to the conversation so much as we are thinking what it is that we're going to say next. So in and of itself, that's sort of a defensive mechanism. And that doesn't actually give us the maximum impact that we could have. So all of the things that we do that dilute our impact are literally things that are using our precious energy to protect ourselves rather than expand who we are and what we're capable of achieving. I fundamentally believe that we are our most impactful when we are our most authentic and that the world really needs the unique impact that each of us can make. And so when through this movement, we're able to channel all of our energy toward really embracing our authenticity and maximizing our impact, I really believe that we will change the world. And that is so important to me, both in the business setting and personal life and everywhere in between. That's incredible. And just to dispel that myth once and for all that when you focus on fear, you don't become more fearful. How do your clients know when they've made it or how do they feel when they graduate from working with you? Yeah, I love that. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you said that when you focus on fear, you don't become more fearful. You learn how to manage it and not be so afraid of being afraid. And so with all transformation, I don't think we ever really truly arrive. I don't think there's like a graduation point where we can high five ourselves and say, well, I'm done. I'm evolved. I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. I think the universe and our lives always keep giving us new challenges to enable us to grow and evolve. That said, obviously, I don't want my clients working with me forever. That wouldn't be very good for my business or <laughs> for anybody. So my clients they all report feeling much more confident about who they are. And it's interesting. A lot of people come to me saying they want more confidence in things like their business meetings or their presentations or whatever. And instead, what we end up working on is inner confidence that shows up everywhere across their entire lives. And it's about being confident in who they are and where their power is, which is inside. And they also get a lot more clarity about what they really want. What I think is so interesting is that most of us don't really know what we want. We more often know what we don't want. So by getting clarity on what it is that we do want and the impact that we can really make when we're being authentic and embracing our authenticity impact, they all end up living fuller, more audacious lives than they ever thought possible because fear isn't the landmine they need to avoid anymore. They haven't limited their path or their range because they're trying to avoid those landmines that are on either side of the path. Instead, they can see that it's not really a landmine. It's just a thing to deal with. And it's something they can have without it having them. Awesome. Well, as we wrap up the interview, I just want to end with something fun. Just a few rapid fire questions. And I want you to tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Perfect. What does it mean to feel successful to you? To feel fulfilled knowing that I'm using my gifts to make the greatest impact for the greatest good. Super important to me. What is something that you've accomplished that you're most proud of? One of my greatest achievements is actually that I was able to, what I say, get divorced successfully or rather get unmarried successfully. My ex and I were able to drop our egos in order to have a great co-parenting relationship for our little kids who were only two and four when we got divorced. And I'm super proud of that. What are you most looking forward to this year? Being able to share what I've learned more broadly so that people can live into their full range. I really want to see people embrace their authenticity impact and start changing the world. What's going to keep you up at night after this interview? <laughs> <laughs> 
So my family hates me for this, but I actually sleep really well. So thankfully, not much does keep me up at night, but continuing to manage the overwhelm is probably something that will happen once in a while. And what's the best way our listeners can get in touch with you? If your listeners want to go deeper with me, they can visit my website to download an activity that can help them live into more full range immediately. And of course, they can find me on all of the social media platforms. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure speaking to you about the art of undoing. Uh, thank you so much. This has been a fabulous conversation and I love having like-minded conversation with like-minded people. So thank you for this. Thank you so much for listening in. I super appreciate you. If you haven't already, be sure you hit subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that more high achievers like you can find this show. And if you want to check out all the links and everything from the show, go on over to handleeverything.com. Thank you again to Erica Gertis for being on the show. And thank you to everyone listening in. This show would not be here if it wasn't for all of our dedicated listeners. You're amazing. And I'm so proud of you for being able to manage all of the things on your plate. From me and the podcast team, make today the best day. And by the way, if you haven't listened to episode nine yet, it's an episode from Dr. Jolene Caro about how to care about others while also caring for yourself. I think you'd really like it. Plus, it's my most downloaded episode right now. Check it out at handleeverything.com, episode nine. Hey, in case I haven't said thank you enough yet, thanks for listening to the Handle Everything podcast at handleeverything.com. 